my previous company, they were like, can you talk about us more? And I was like, no, I was just like 98% of the content that I created actually never mentioned Alice before. And I still drove $2 million in pipeline in two years and 60% of that closed just from creating content without ever mentioning them. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Confessions of a B2B Marketer podcast. We are joined by Nick Bennett, who is massive in the B2B space. He has his own podcast, he has his own email newsletter, he's big on LinkedIn, go and check him out on LinkedIn. And in this call, we start off understanding where he came from, which was more field and event marketing, and then we transitioned into his career as a creator and his work now and his passion for the B2B creator. So let's jump right into that discussion now. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like you're everywhere. Like wherever I look, Nick Bennett's face is there. I try to be everywhere that I can. I feel like content allows you to do that to a certain degree. And I'm sure we're going to be getting to that later in the episode. I've obviously been doing my research and I want to start off kind of where it feels like you started off in the world of marketing in field. So we're going to define that, understand a bit more about that. And then we're going to follow your career almost because then we move more into events like and then ABM. And then also you've become this kind of like face of B2B almost. So I want to dig into like audience building and LinkedIn. How does that sound? Sounds great to me. So can we first like define field marketing? Because maybe I'm a little bit naive about this. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there was there's a misconception of what field marketing is. So field marketing 1.0 was very much event driven. It was like, hey, you would go do a trade show booth. You would pass those leads to the SDR. There was really no integrated approach into your go-to-market strategy. Field Marketing 2.0 is a very much a trusted advisor to the sales team. Sales ultimately should be your internal customer. And so events is a piece of it, but you have to think of digital, creative, messaging, positioning, brand, like all of these things play into it. And you are the closest person to the sales team. So not only are you doing basically pre-COVID, it was very much territory-based where you had, say, someone in EMEA, East Coast, US, Central West. And so they would run the territory based like a CMO. They would work with the sales team and they would basically, it was really ABM to a certain degree before ABM was cool to do. People tie field marketing or they should be tying field marketing to revenue. And so many people weren't doing field marketing from a revenue lens before. They were doing it from a lead gen lens. Got it. So the thing that stood out for me is like trusted advisor to the sales team. So you're there to empower and even educate the sales team to close more deals. 100%. Yeah. It's like so many times people are like, well, you know, you have your customers, but like really field marketers, sales is your customer because you need them to succeed at the end of the day for you to be successful. And so many organizations have these silos because sales doesn't talk to marketing. Well, field marketing is your front lines. They should be talking to sales on a daily or weekly basis and talking to those sales leaders. How do you come together under one revenue organization to actually achieve success? Do you have any like specific tips? Because I've worked with sales teams in the past and it's a challenge for like every marketer. So from your experience in the field, is there anything that you've done that someone listening can be like, I'm going to do that tomorrow to make the sales team love me? I think that you have to build relationships first and foremost before anything. Any organization that I went into for those first, I would say 60 days, it was really about building relationships with sales. And for me, I was in sales before I was in marketing. Now, I do think a lot of marketers should try sales at some point, or maybe if you want to go to marketing, 
start in sales. I don't know, you know, maybe an SDR role, maybe an AE, whatever. But once you walk in their shoes and you can relate to them and talk to them in their language of, hey, here's how I'm going to make you money at the end of the day. Because let's be honest, salespeople just want to make money. And if you can talk their language, it's how you're going to make money versus saying, I'm going to drive all these MQLs for you. No one cares about MQLs, but they care about money in their pocket at the end of the day. So did you then like narrow your focus when you went from field to events? Because you said events was like a subsection of field. Yeah, it's in the thing is events actually move the needle more than anything. And I think COVID kind of played a big piece of it of kind of accelerating virtual events. Now we're seeing more in-person stuff come back as well. But events have done right. And I'm not saying that you should go out and sponsor a trade show booth and spend $250,000 to be there. Because what you're going to do is you're going to sit there and you're going to scan all these leads that will come here and no one's going to follow up and they just want the free swag. Now, what I do think you should do from an event perspective is focus on micro events, micro events and creating these elevated experiences for your prospects and customers. That's what's going to move the needle. Those conversations that you can't replace, virtual or in person, you capture a lot of stuff when it's, say, a group of 20 people. First, going back to like the big events, because I think you know Arthur from Chili Piper, right? Quite well. We had an episode that's going to come soon. His event strategy, I think, is sick, where he's doing the filming, and then that's like the... So for people that are listening, Arthur will like go with a camera and ask questions to people. And then we'll also publish that content on LinkedIn, et cetera. What do you think about that strategy, Nick? Yeah, 100%. Arthur and I have talked about this a bunch. And so before he started doing that, him and I talked about like, hey, this is how content should tie back to your top line, like digital strategy when you do events in person. And we talked about, I think we were at an event together probably last year sometime, maybe early last year. And we walked around all the trade show booths. And I would say, say there was 100 exhibitors there. I would say about 93 of them were just sitting at your booth and not out trying to engage you to get you to come in. And this is MarTech specifically, but like, think about that. All these people are just sitting there waiting for their prospects to come to them. Why aren't you out there engaging, capturing that content and then distributing that content to put them at the center of everything? It goes back to like a people first go to market versus a company first go to market. When you put the person at the front and center of everything, you're going to be a lot more successful. Makes total sense. Let's, if you're happy to share like the micro event playbook. So what's like step one to pull off a great micro event? I think it's understanding what are the outcomes that you're looking to achieve. So for example, are you looking to drive in micro events usually aren't for top of funnel. They're usually for middle and bottom of the funnel kind of deal acceleration or even customer expansion, for example. So you need to figure out what is the outcome you're looking to achieve here. Now, you might sprinkle some top of funnel prospects in there because your customers are going to be there. They're going to be your best seller at the end of the day. But what's that experience you want them to have? So many people do dinners and dinners are cool. Like, yeah, you know, you could go to New York City and spend $10,000 on a dinner or you could rent out the Nike facility in Chicago and you could basically get everyone to create custom Nike shoes. I've done this before. And at the end of the day, you have great conversations, but someone gets to leave with a $200 pair of Nikes that they built themselves to give for themselves or their kids or whatever. Now that changes the whole conversation things because people are going to remember that. If you can create an experience where people are going to remember what you did for them versus just saying, hey, here's a 45 minute sales pitch. And then, oh, by the way, you have 15 minutes to mingle. And I mean, people are busy. No one wants to do that. And especially with 
how the economy has changed. Not as many people are traveling anymore. And it's like, why do I need to go travel to these events if I can do it virtually? But if you create an experience of something that people want to do, then it's a great example. And I'll give you another example. I'm doing the first ever creators retreat in Costa Rica, the first week of November. And it's 20 of us, small group. And we're getting together to basically just have masterclasses, workshops around how to be a better creator at the end of the day. And we've rented three Airbnbs right on the beach. And we have all these excursions. It's to build relationships. Kyle Lacey's coming, like Morgan Ingram. Like we have all these people that are coming and we sold tickets to it. I was like, I don't know. Are people actually going to pay $3,000 to come to Costa Rica? And we sold out literally, I think I made two LinkedIn posts. That's it and sold all the tickets. Got it. And so that isn't for like any other business. That's like your own thing that you're setting up. Exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, the more I think about it, I want to build the Nick Bennett brand because ultimately that's going to create and kind of drive everything else. But yeah, I mean, ultimately the companies that I work for will benefit from that, but I don't want to associate it with them because at the end of the day, people first go to market, people remember the person behind it versus the company. Well, let's jump into this. I was going to get to that later. But yeah, the Nick Bennett brand. When did you start building this? Because right now, correct me if I'm wrong, that's question number one. Right now we have obviously the LinkedIn presence. We have the anonymous marketer podcast. All this stuff is going to be linked below, by the way, if you're listening to go and check out. There's also an email newsletter. And then am I missing something? <laughs> no, honestly, you got everything. It's in, I'm, Well, actually, yeah, there's one other piece. I'm writing a book on the creator economy and B2B as well. Nice. So it's like all these things are trying to fuel, like I want to be known as one of the people that kind of led the charge on the creator economy in B2B. Got it. Okay. And so when did you start working on this? So originally I started creating content. It was probably about three and a half years ago now. So I was at a company called Clary. Kyle Coleman was my boss, very well known on LinkedIn. And we were actually in Laguna Beach at a revenue kickoff. And he talked about all the successes that he's had from LinkedIn. He's like, you should post on LinkedIn. I love a good challenge. So I was like, all right, cool. He's like, you should talk about failed marketing because out of, at the time, 610 million users, no one talked about failed marketing, what it was, the misconception, how it plays into a revenue organization. And so I did that for six months straight, five days a week, just talked about failed marketing. Which year was this? This was 2020. Yeah, it was the month before COVID really hit in the US because I was like, it was February of 2020 and then March, like basically everything shut down. Cool. And so that kicked off the journey. You did that for six months. And then I guess you started building the audience, getting followers. And then what happened next? Yeah, basically there was a lot of silence for the first, I would say almost a year. It was, you know, I was creating content, but I was getting like three likes, four likes, maybe a comment. And it was usually a friend. And I was just like, is anyone actually listening to this? And then people started DMing me saying, hey, this is really helpful because this is programs that I'm actually implementing into my strategy or people that want to go into field marketing. I was like, okay, there's lurkers out there. Those lurkers, it's resonating with. And so I said, you know what? ultimately it allowed me to start to talk about account-based marketing, customer marketing. And I was like, I'm at a point where three and a half years later, I feel like people follow my content for me at the end of the day. I could talk about, I mean, I hate to say, it, but I can say the sky is blue and there's probably going to be people that like it and there's no value in that. But I've always tried to lead from a value first perspective in the content that I create. And if I could help one person a day that I feel like I've done a, a good job. And that's always just kind of been the content that I've worked on. And it's just allowed me and snowballed into all these additional projects just from showing up every day. 
Have you posted every day for the last three years? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. It's I took I burnt out pretty hard. I think it was last summer, and I was actually going on vacation, my first vacation in like four years with my wife and my daughter at the time. And so I was like, you know what? I'm taking like two weeks off from like LinkedIn, and I just completely deleted the app, shut it down, and it was like so needed because I was like, listen, if creating content ultimately feels like a job and you're not being paid for it, I don't want to do it. I want this to feel like something that it's fun to do. It's a creative outlet for me. And when it starts to become feel like monotonous and it's like, I got to think of something to post. I got to think people are counting on me, all these things. It's not fun. And it was always my mindset. And so outside of that and outside, maybe the week between Christmas and New Year's, I would usually take that week off. Yeah, I've posted every day and sometimes two times a day. I mean, 2022, the end of 2022 and all of 2023 so far, I've been posting two times a day, Monday to Friday. Love it. How much more leverage does this give you in like negotiations when you're taking a new role? Because you've had a couple since you started then and I I can imagine it's just great. Yeah, 100%. It's nice to not have to apply to roles and kind of have your choices of what you actually want to do and have roles actually created for you. I mean, my current role at Airmeet wasn't an open job description. We created that role together. I wrote the job description of what I think it should be. And so it's allowed me to say, hey, listen, not only you sell the marketers, I am a marketer. I understand the pain points that you're looking to solve, but I also bring 55,000 other people that will see my content and click my profile and see that I work for Airme and drive ultimately inbounds for you. So it gives you a lot of leverage to basically be very selective And in the world of tech today, where there's layoffs, feels like every day, I don't worry about it because I'm like, you know what, I'll just go either do my own thing or I'll reach out to a few people I know and be like, hey, you willing to create a role for me or hire me? And more than likely, I'll be okay. And last resort, I could post on LinkedIn. Hopefully, I would get a bunch of DMs, people wanting to chat. Even a formalized, right, in your job contract, it's not like you have to do one post per month for Mentions Us. I assume it's just you'll do whatever you want with your content. You probably manage to negotiate like a higher compensation. Exactly. Yeah. I don't put anything in there regarding like, I have to talk about you a certain number of times. And I've actually, you know, my previous company, they were like, can you talk about us more? And I was like, no, I was just like 98% of the content that I created actually never mentioned Alice before. And I still drove $2 million in pipeline in two years and 60% of that closed just from creating content without ever mentioning them. And I'm just like, again, people follow the person and they buy from people. I'm just going to add value through things that I'm working on and hopefully help others. If they have a need, they're going to reach out because they're going to remember your name. I love that you have the stats on the pipeline driven from the last role. I bet that was very powerful. Is the goal longer term to be like Nick Bennett full time? Yeah, it's definitely in the cards. I'm trying to figure out what that actually looks like. I've been writing some posts that have kind of hinted like, hey, what do you actually need to become a full-time content creator in 2023? And my newsletter, I'm actually writing, because I have a lot more thoughts on that. Like I'm writing a deeper piece of like, if you want to go full on and be a creator in 2023 and just say like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. How am I, like, what do my revenue streams look like? And for me, it's brand deals, it's advising, a little bit of consulting, and then the podcast sponsorships. And it puts me in a really good spot. And honestly, those have been a side hustle for me for so long, but it's a sizable side hustle where I'm like, wow, actually, I think I could like do this full time. I just, I get cold feet sometimes worrying, you know, now that I have three kids, I'm like, ooh, you know, you got a family to provide for. So we'll see. 
Yeah, congrats on the two babies you had recently, right? Yeah, yeah, two twins. Yep, so they're 10 weeks old, so exciting. Incredible. There's pics on next LinkedIn, if anybody's wondering. Yeah. I did see recently on LinkedIn also that the merch revenue stream is being discontinued. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Well, the funny thing is I actually made $0 off of any of that. It was a nice kind of added benefit because I wanted it for myself, but Mavens as a whole is going to be pivoting, kind of like shutting down the creator pages and moving to more of an integration to the websites. I don't have a website anymore, so I'm like, ah, I can't really do that. And I was like, you know what? There's been... I think since I launched it, there's probably been about 150 people that have bought stuff. And I was like, that's cool. Like, again, I've made $0 on any of that, but it's so nice to see the pictures of people that will like send me pictures and be like, hey, look, it's just like cool. Like, you know, I came up with that tagline. Now it's like people embracing it. So I think I either saw this on LinkedIn or maybe I counted, but roughly 50 guest podcast appearances. I assume that's been over the past three or so years since you've been like focused on this. Yeah. How impactful? Well, A, how do you do that? B, how impactful has that been in like growing your profile, do you think? Yeah, it's been, I think it's been very, very impactful. And I think one of the pieces were like originally a lot of the podcasts I did early on were about field marketing. Because again, no one was talking about it. People wanted to understand what it was Ultimately, that transition to account-based marketing, people were like, hey, what does your ABM playbook look like? Then I started to do a little bit of customer marketing. And then it was like around like this whole creator economy. And now it's just kind of like, what do you think about like everything? And like those, for me, it's really good because one content lives forever. And it's like, I can now take clips from this and like all these things and basically put it on YouTube, which I'm a huge believer on YouTube shorts and like Instagram reels and TikTok, and then use it for LinkedIn. It's like, great. Now I have all this distribution from this content that will ultimately fuel, hopefully people clicking, say my link tree and seeing all these additional, like my newsletter and all these additional things that maybe you want to learn about. And then you reach out to me and say, Hey, I would love to do maybe some type of of partnership together or some type of advising. And everything that's come to me so far has all been inbound. I haven't outbounded on anything, which has been really nice. And I think all this content kind of fuels that. Sure. Like clearly two kids, full-time job, various side hustles. What's like the productivity system? Like what time are you waking up? Do we like, when are we doing different types of work? Yeah. So before, when I was creating for LinkedIn for so long, I would basically write the post like in the moment and it would take me no longer than five minutes. I would put it out there. If there was grammatical errors, cool, no worries. But since I would say probably for the last six months or so, I've started scheduling my content now that LinkedIn kind of natively released that because I didn't trust any of the other platforms. But now that LinkedIn has it, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to actually put it out there. So what I usually do is like, I'll write all my content on say Sunday night or something. I'll schedule it out for the week. So I don't have to think about it and I can kind of go around and still engage with people. But I know that, all right, cool. At 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. my time, there's going to be a post. And then 8 p.m. my time, there's going to be a post. And then I can kind of just jump in and continue those conversations. And then I usually scroll throughout the day. If there's interesting stuff that I see, I'll jump in. If I could add value, add to the conversation. But I definitely try to time block stuff. And it's LinkedIn can be a time suck if you don't use it properly. And mo- I mean, just like any social media platform, you can sit there for hours and just scrolling. And then you're like, whoa, two hours went by. And like, I was supposed to do 30 other things. So if you time block it, and fit it into your schedule, like on your actual calendar, it makes it a lot easier. Makes total sense. And then I guess if you have that, it seems like the posting is the core, like 
activity for everything else, really. I guess it drives podcast downloads. It will bring in sponsorships. It probably helps you produce content for the newsletter. So once you've got that done on the Sunday night, then like everything else seems to flow from that. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's been nice to not have to worry as much about like creating the content. It's like, all right, cool. I can understand the framework that I'm looking to do. And I think Justin Welsh does this really, really well of like, I've talked to him a bunch and he's like, I sit down on a Saturday and I write like a bunch of stuff out for weeks. I was like, oh, I could never do that at the time. I was just like, it's not me. And life happens and life gets busy. And it's like, sometimes you need to change your work style. And especially when you're moving up, I'm in a senior director role now. I had a team of five people and that looks to expand. It's like, hold on, like I can't balance all of these things if I don't have like processes and frameworks in place. Makes total sense. Let's talk more about the creator trip. So this is something that you're doing like under your own personal brand and you're like organizing everything. You sold the tickets and then you're like doing the agenda. Yeah, so I'm partnering with her name's Kelsey and Kai Shaw. So like I'm working with them because I was planning on do this in back in 2022 in the US. And I was like, you know, we should create a marketing creator house, the best B2B marketers. We pay for everything. We get sponsors and we just do it. And I was like, I ran into so many legal troubles from a contract perspective that I just ran out of runway. But Kelsey and Kai wanted to sponsor it at the time and it just didn't work out. So they're like, what if we help front the money for a lot of this stuff? And like, we logistically plan it. We have the legal teams that handle all of it. And you still be the host. I was like, oh, 100%, I'm in. And so Kelsey went out to Costa Rica for like kind of scouting and she basically found these Airbnbs and like she was sending me the pictures. I was like, oh my God, these things are beautiful. And so now we're going to do, we have these workshops planned, like one around YouTube, for example, how do you get better at creating content for YouTube? Because a lot of B2B marketers know that's the way that things are kind of progressing. There's some around like just different types of work styles. Ultimately, we want people to leave and say, hey, I'm a better creator personally right now. And this is going to help me with these relationships that I've built to hopefully progress things out. And ideally, we do this every year, maybe twice a year, but we're going to test it out. And we're going to create a lot of content in person. When we do this, like Todd Clouser's coming from Lavender. So like, we have a lot of people that are really, really good at video and a lot of good content creators. We're just going to kind of see what unfolds over a four-day period. So... Who is the company that wants to sponsor it? We should give them a shout out. Yeah, it's Demand OS. They used to be Branter, but yeah, Demand OS. It's again, Kai Shaw, super cool dude. And um, Kelsey who works for him. So we're all kind of going on this together and seeing what happens. But she planned the agenda. She's logistically planned everything. Because again, I was like, one of my biggest flaws is I'm not good at delegating. I try to like take everything on. And I've realized as I've kind of progressed in my career that like delegation is very, very important if you want to be successful. For sure. And so Demand OS presumably sell software to B2B marketers. So they're going to get exposure to the audience of all they created in theory through the program. Exactly. Super interesting, like a way to spend marketing budget for demand OS versus like getting a staller Dreamforce, dropping 20 grand on LinkedIn ads. You know what I mean? So super interesting to see how that goes for them. Yeah, I'm excited too, because I do think that like, I want to see more companies investing in creators. And you're seeing like from an influencer marketing perspective. And I mean, there's always been a so one-sided piece of it where the brand says to the influencer or the creator, go do this because this is what my like deliverables are. But it should be very much more of an integrated strategy where it's like, hey, 
these are the topics that we want to talk about. What are your thoughts on it? How could you add value there without making it sound like a sales pitch at the end of the day too? Yeah, super interesting. Also had Todd on, I think the episode's coming out this week because he's really into this stuff. Yes. Like you are, I think. Todd and I talk often and I've known Todd for a while now and he's good. I learn a lot from him from like a video perspective. He's taught me a ton on TikTok, but now like from a YouTube perspective as well, he's taught me so much. You think he's the funniest guy in B2B marketing? He's probably the worst marketer in the world. <laughs> exactly. So if we're forecasting forward, let's say three to five years, how do you see the B2B influencer space evolving? Like what are we going to see? And you reckon it's going to like triple or double in the next three to five years? I think that we're going to start to see mass adoption, at least in MarTech and sales tech, probably within the next two to three years. I think like FinTech and a lot of these other industries are probably a bit further out because they don't, it's tougher from a regulation perspective and like audience and they may not be on LinkedIn, but they may be on Reddit, for example. So it's understanding that piece. But I do think we're going to start to see mass adoption and what it's going to look like is it's going to be very much an integrated approach. Or you're going to have marketing teams start to hire creators. And I know Lavender didn't do this on purpose, but if you look at the entire Lavender marketing team, they all create content. They're all out there. They're all speaking at events. Look at, I guarantee you, if you went to look at like how much like Lavender is like from like a search perspective, like exploded since all these people were hired, it's got to be through the roof. Like I see them everywhere I turn. And they're Jen, you know, Todd, they're all amazing people. Even Will, like both Wills now, like out there in Will Aiken, I mean, three Wills are out there creating content. It's like, you see them everywhere. And I think more B2B brands understand modern day marketing and marketing leaders that hopefully are willing to try something new and not just stick to the old playbook are going to be willing to bring creators on full time to help fuel that strategy. Because they might still specialize in something like think of Todd, he's really good at video, but he's probably playing a bigger piece of that. And it's like, how do they fit in from a specialization standpoint, but fuel the amplification to everything else that they're doing? So what essentially is going to happen? Like if your prediction is correct and these B2B marketing leaders are going to look to work with more creators, that means that the cost of the creator is going to go up if supply isn't increased. So presumably like creators like yourself are going to become more valuable, like the cost to pay you if that's possible to do an ad would go up. But then as more of this happens, then more of these people are going to start creating content and more creators will arrive. And I guess one thing that you're doing is looking to accelerate the supply of creators. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's B2C has obviously nailed this really well. They understand the influencer model and I feel like B2B is lacking, but some companies do this really, really well and are starting to figure out like, hey, why continue to invest in like a corporate handle posting from LinkedIn that someone's probably not going to read when I can say have these 10 creators that work for me and they still do other things within the organization, but those 10 people are all of a sudden driving millions of impressions per month and think about how many clicks they're getting. Now think about what you would spend from like a paid media perspective on that. Like you'd be saving a lot of money because you could cut your paid budget down a good chunk and invest that into the creators because you're ultimately borrowing trust and authority from their audience too. Makes total sense. And your mission also makes total sense now. Like if you can accelerate the creation of these influences, it's going to accelerate your vision to, for B2B marketing influences to explode. 100%. Would you say that's like your like life purpose at the moment? I would say it's a big piece of it. I just want people to be aware of like the creator economy in like, I guess, accelerate the growth of the creator economy in B2B specifically. 
and I think you see some people adopting this, but like so many people don't even know where to start. They're like, if I want to work with like a creator, because I got this question yesterday, it was like, they were in fintech actually. And they were like, where do I even find people that I want to like work with? And because there's no platforms like B2C, like B2C, you could be like, all right, cool. I'm a brand. I want to go find these 10 influencers that I'm going to work with. And there's probably like 20 platforms out there to do that. In B2B, there's no platform that currently exists that can do this and do it well because people don't know how to monetize it from a B2B perspective. I know people that have tried to build them and it's fizzled out. But think about that. If you could create a platform that ultimately brands could subscribe to and be like, all right, cool. I want to go work with these 10 creators. You get all their information. You can see it all. You can basically communicate with them on this platform. That would be cool. I have no interest in building that, but I would like to see someone build it. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'm also thinking like talent agency, but for B2B influencers, that's the thing. 100%. That's on my like new, my new business ideas. <laughs> Tre- Trello card. Amazing, Nick. Thank you so much. So we're going to link to everything below for people to check you out. It's been a bit of a journey. We talked about field events and then obviously your thoughts on B2B. Super excited for the event. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of posts about that on LinkedIn, right? Where is it happening? Yep. Uh, November 1st through the 4th in Costa Rica. So there will be a lot more content coming out and then a lot of content posts that we'll be sharing too that hopefully gets more people excited about doing it next year. For sure. We'll link to Demando F just for like, just purely having the balls to go and set this up. I think it was really cool. But Nick, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I really love the episode. Appreciate you having me, Tom. It was a blast. All right. And thank you, Nick, for coming on and sharing all your wisdom regarding event and field marketing, but also about the world of B2B creators. We truly appreciate it. If you listening have any feedback, please go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. I'll get it read out on the show if you send me a screenshot. And of course, thank you for listening.